in the book, the Gospel of Luke, as we've been kind of using Luke's perspective as we've been going throughout this Passion Week and looking at that. We're going to kind of finish up with that story today in Luke 24. But as you get there, I'd like to kind of bring some introduction. I, you know, if you've heard me speak before or present, it's I love context. I love kind of bringing things together. So because nothing is just a, a one-off message. Nothing is just a single solitary event with nothing else surrounding it. It doesn't have purpose. And so as we continue to march towards this moment, let me bring us back to just the previous chapter. If you want to turn there, you can. You don't have to. It's just in the previous chapter in Luke 23. But in verses 46 through 49, it says this. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly, this man was innocent. Other gospel accounts say, the centurion declares, Certainly, this man was the Son of God. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all the acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. That was the final word. Of our Savior on the cross. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. On Friday night we said that is a beautiful statement because that declares that Jesus took the authority on himself to give up his life. Nobody else took his life from him. He said, I commit my spirit to my Father. I lay my life down and also I'll raise it up again. And I promise that he had spoken multiple times. So after all the ministry, miracles, prophetic words, healings, teachings, etc. that Jesus had gone through in the previous three years with his disciples, he now hangs lifeless on a cross. Almost silent. It's dark. Again, we heard that the people left beating their breasts, meaning they realized who this was. They saw their own sin on that cross, and they walked away feeling hopeless. They walked away feeling despair as this guy who was promised was going to save us. He was going to rescue us. He was going to deliver Israel from the hands of this Roman Empire. And yet here he hangs, lifeless, dead before us, all hope seemed lost. So what, are, what was it all for? Was he telling a bunch of lies? What did it all mean? So at that moment, two men, Joseph of Arimathea, and another one by the name of Nicodemus. Actually, what we read in the gospel accounts is they were members of this council, members of the, the chief priests and the elders, part of that group that sent Jesus to the cross. Yet what we read about them is they were seeking Jesus. They did not agree with what their colleagues had done. And in secret, for fear of what might happen to them, they secretly had a faith in Christ, and it was Nicodemus is the one that Jesus had the conversation with in the evening, dead of night, so not to be found out when he spoke the famous word from John 3.16 that we all know. That was to Nicodemus. So these two men go to Pilate and ask permission to take the body of Jesus and lay him in a tomb. And if you were with us Friday night, we discussed the purpose of that crucifixion, the purpose of that death, and what that means for us where we can say with joy we have forgiveness of sins. We've been washed clean 
by the blood of Christ. Amen. So today we're going to continue that story because as we already declared, it's not over. So the resurrection, what does it mean? Why is it important? I would like to assume, which I never like to do, but if I can look in this room, I'm sure a lot of us could raise our hand and say, I know what that means. Obviously, we're here for a purpose. That's why we celebrate. But let me bring us a perspective, maybe a refreshing perspective as to what the resurrection is all about. But what I want to declare, it was something that Christ must do. Something Something that he chose to do or something that sounded good in the moment because he was God's son, but it was something he must do because all of his ministry was something that he had to do. It was required of him. In fact, he even used those words. Someone by the name of Richard Linsky, theologian, said this, the record of the resurrection of the crucified dead body of Jesus constitutes the climax of all four Gospels. Take away this chapter and the facts it records, and you can cancel all else that is worth in the previous chapters. This is the moment. This is pivotal to our understanding of our faith in Christ, our Christianity, why we say we follow Jesus, why we have received him. It comes in this chapter. The final chapter of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record this moment. When a story is recorded in all four Gospels, I think we need to pay attention. Amen. Amen. There's some importance to that story. Without the resurrection, Jesus is no more than just a good moral teacher. As many will put him forward. They don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in his deity. He was just a good teacher. If he never raised from the dead, that would be true. But his resurrection proves his deity, proves everything that he said about himself was true. Romans chapter 1, verse 4. Paul would write it, and Christ was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. And a few chapters later, he would write in Romans 4, It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So when we are washed clean by the blood of Christ, and when he defeats death three days later, we are justified. Just as if. We've never sinned. We're washed clean, renewed. We can march forward with that hope, that joy, that purpose to say, I don't have to live in sin anymore. I don't have to go back to that way of life anymore. It's done. It's defeated. It's on the cross. But what do we do? We go right back to that mud, that dirt, that sin because of our humanity and who we are. But we need to realize and believe and hold to the fact that we don't have to live there. The first words of Jesus' ministry when he came on the scene was, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent is turn around, 180 degrees, turn, run, sprint, get away, because you don't have to live there. You don't have to carry that weight, that burden, that sin anymore, because the blood of Christ washed it clean. It's gone. But this is what Christ had to do. He must do. 
This is a beautiful thing that is new to me. Now, you read scripture a lot. I'm sure a lot of you are in the Word of God a lot. But sometimes you just don't realize words that are repeated often because it's just a small word and you just pass it by. It's no big deal. But let's take a look at this one word. In Luke chapter 2, verse 49, when he was but a child, he said, I must be in my father's house. In Luke 4, 43, he said, I must preach the gospel. In Luke 17, he said, I must suffer. In Luke 19, he said, I must have a relationship with those who receive me. Now, I paraphrase that because that's the story of him and Zacchaeus. He said, little man, come down from that tree. I must come into your house and dine with you. See, when we seek a relationship with the Lord, he wants to be with us. But even more than that, I must be with you. That's how much he loves us. In Luke 22, 37, he says, scripture must be fulfilled. And then after his resurrection, we'll jump to the end real quick. In Luke 24, when he meets his disciples on the shore, he said, again, I must suffer and enter glory. You hear in the word? This is what he had to do. Why? Because he loved us so much. And in obedience to his heavenly father, this was what was planned from the beginning of time. Jesus' resurrection, his victory over death, had to happen in order for us to receive eternal life. Isn't that worthy of joy? Isn't that worthy of a life lived with focus on Jesus Christ as our Savior, keeping him in front of us at all times? Why we gather together as the church? Now, this is not meant to come down on anybody, but the church should look like this every single Sunday. Amen. It should be this full, bursting at the seams, opening the doors, moving this, more chairs, because we need Jesus Christ. We need to be in community. If he had to be with us, we must be with him. Him. So there's your introduction. Well, there's more. Luke 24. Let's read together. It's not going to go up on the screen. If you want to read out loud with me, we're going to read through the first 12 verses together. Luke 24, verse 1 says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they, speaking of the women that were there, went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here but has risen. Okay, I guess that wasn't worthy of anything, so I'm going to read that again, because that's what makes this possible. I'm going to read it again. Are you with me? Are we awake? If you need more coffee, get it now. We'll pump it into your veins, because I want to hear a response about those words. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here but has risen. Amen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified on the third, excuse me, and crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered 
his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what happened. It's a beautiful story. But there's something in this I'm, we're going to pull out. Some words in here that we're going to focus in on for the remainder of our time because it is so important to us here now. Verses 8 through 10. And they remembered his words. How important is that for us today? To remember the words of Christ. And all we do as members of Christ's church is to recall to mind what he did for us so that we can be encouraged and equipped to go and tell others the example of these women who went to the tomb simply to continue that burial process in grief. Yet they find the tomb empty. And then when they're told and that Jesus is not there and they see for themselves. Now you may have heard this before, but did the angels remove the stone so Jesus could come out? No. They removed the stone so the witnesses could come in and see that he's not there anymore. And by that revelation, with joy and purpose, these women ran as the first pastors, preachers, evangelists, missionaries to go and tell the others who were in hiding, our Christ has risen from the dead. That's what his word causes us to do, to go and tell. That's the commission. The Great Commission, go and make disciples, go and tell. If you've been given hope by Jesus Christ yes. through his death and his resurrection and your life has been transformed, go and tell somebody. Amen. It's worth it. You can't control their response. That's not up to you. Your job is to open your mouth and speak. The Holy Spirit will cause the response. Just be obedient to what God has commanded, and I say that again, commanded us to do. Go and tell somebody. In verse 11, but these words seem to them, those who receive them, an idle tale. Now that shocked me once again when I read it. All these disciples who had lived life with Christ, they witnessed the majesty. They witnessed transfiguration. They witnessed the miracles and healings and everything that Christ had done to the amazement of the masses that caused thousands of people to follow Christ. And here they are in hiding, in grief, and these women come and tell them Jesus is alive. And they're like, no, can't be. Can't be. It's an idle tale. everything they had done and seen that Jesus had said and done, they couldn't believe it. Maybe they didn't want to believe it. I don't know. But, I, but I'm focusing in on this concept of remembering Christ's words. And so what Jesus had told his disciples multiple times throughout his ministry, we go back to Luke 9. Don't, don't feel the need to turn there. I'll just read it for you. Luke 9, verses 20 through 22 said, Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. Amen. 
And Jesus strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, listen to the words, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day rise again. Yeah. Some reason that didn't get into their ears. <laughs> so Jesus, being a good teacher, had to say it again. Luke 9, 44. He even says, word for word, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. In one ear, right out the other. So, being a good teacher, repetition is key. Let's say it a third time. Luke chapter 18. Jesus says, and taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Will be accomplished. Words are important. I don't care how small they are. We need to listen. Amen. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, and on the third day, he will rise again. Here. Because twice after Jesus declared three times that he was going to be handed over, arrested, tried, convicted, beaten, and crucified, and rise again, they begin on two of those occasions to argue about who is going to be the greatest in their kingdom. What? Now, please understand, we can laugh, we can point fingers at these disciples, but remember that when you do so, you're looking in a mirror because you're laughing and pointing a finger at yourself, because how often do we do the same thing? We get so caught up in what we want to hear that we just kind of block out the rest, don't we? Yes. My wife gets mad at me all the time because when it's football season, and I'm watching the game, you know where I'm going with this. I'm watching the game, and she starts talking, and I, I catch like the, the, the second half of her statement. So, a weird way to start a conversation. <laughs> well, because I was focused on what I wanted to do. But my wife, my bride, was trying to talk to me. Probably tell me to do something she asked me to do six months ago. But regardless, I wasn't listening. I heard some things, but not the important things. Good thing our couch is comfortable because I sleep there often. <laughs> but listen now speaking to us Christ church followers of Jesus we must there's that word we must return to the reverence for the word and work of God we must we have to when we are in the presence of God, we must pay attention. Look, I understand there are a lot of circumstances in this world that will cause us to be distracted. We come into this place where scripture tells us when two or more are gathered in his name, he's here. Say it again. He's here. But yet we allow ourselves to be so discouraged and distracted and dissuaded from focusing in on the word of God that we'd rather focus on what's happening in Ukraine or what's happening in D.C. or what's happening here or what's going on in my bank account or not going on in my bank account or anything else. 
And we get so caught up in that that we forget we're listening to the word of God in the very presence of God. Amen. 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 What do we do to change that? I'm asking you to evaluate your heart, your mind, where you're at. Because again, he died to set you free from those worries. Not that, they, not that they aren't real. Not that those things shouldn't be of concern. But when we can place them before the feet of Jesus Christ. And all we have to do is fix our eyes on him. Open our ears. How many times did Jesus say, for those who have ears to hear, let them hear. But all too often we're just like, following the butterflies and whatever else. We're so distracted. We're so distracted. Guys, this life in Christ is not routine. It's not routine. So please, speak against that spirit in your life if you feel that way. It's okay to feel that way. We can get there. We get into routine. Routines are actually kind of comfortable. We gotta look for routine because raise your hand and you want more change in your life. Perfect. Nobody. Okay, couple. Okay, I know you guys and I know why you're raising your hand. God bless you and we're praying for you. But a lot of us need that routine. We need that comfort. But in time, when we get too comfortable, what do we do? There's nothing routine about life in Christ. Point one story out in scripture from Genesis to Revelation where it was routine and comfortable for those called by God to be in obedience to him. It's not there. Luke 9.23, Jesus makes this very clear. His words to us, if anyone would come after me, let him pick up his cross, deny himself daily, and follow me. Now that scripture is in a, a few of the gospels, but I like this reference because it says, deny yourself. You're not more important than what Christ wants you to do. Take up your cross. Remember, this was said prior to his crucifixion. A cross was an instrument of death, but a cross represented what? Sin. Death. So you pick that up. And you follow Christ. Because it's not about you. You take your life and follow in the footsteps of Christ. But you have to do that daily. Every day we have to preach the gospel to ourselves, don't we? Every day. Without the resurrection, we do not have hope. We do not walk, as scripture says, in the newness of life. We remain in the death of our sin. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. What was on that cross? What was Jesus bearing? Our sin. So I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We need to hang on to that. Amen. We believe by faith that God raised Jesus from the dead. If need be, if you're one of these people, which we all can be and should be, because it's there, it's why Google exists, check the historical record. This is fact. And nobody in society can deny the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. 
Nobody can deny the fact or prove that he is in the grave or his body was stolen. There is too much proof otherwise. And so at least people in a quantity. If I don't understand something, I'm just going to hate it. I'm going to attack it. I'm just going to, rather than just give in to the fact that Christ loves you, died for you, wants a relationship with you. Amen. But it's a historical fact. All the other leaders, these founders of all these other world religions, it is historical fact. You can find their grave and know, by record, their bodies are in that grave. Amen. But Jesus Christ is different. He is the Son of God. He defeated death. And he left that tomb for the sake of us. Amen. Let's continue on in our story. One of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. This is so important to the resurrection story. Starting in verse 13, we read that very day two of them, speaking of disciples, not necessarily of the eleven, but just other disciples that were following Christ. Two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. And one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? <laughs> I love Jesus' humor. He says, what things? <laughs> Don't you love that? The resurrected Christ himself is just having a little fun with these disciples. <laughs> no, let me hear from you. What, what happened? Tell me about it. What's going on? Tell me the story. <laughs> and they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped, not trusted, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Amen. Wow. See, we can follow Jesus. We can come to church. We can tithe. We can sing our songs. We can do our potlucks. We can do all these nice things that good church people should do. We even say we believe all these things that pertain to God. Yet we can fall into the same sorrow as these disciples. Because we don't trust in Jesus because of the words of others. See, that's the unfortunate thing. We get so caught up in what others may say about Jesus. We need to put our trust in his words, not the words of others. 
Now, the words of Christ should come forward through others. That's the point of pastors and prophets and evangelists and teachers. I get that. But if they're spouting more about what they believe than the words of Christ, they need to get out of the pulpit. Amen. It needs to be the word of God that comes forward. See, we don't trust in Jesus because of the words of others or what we believe he will do for us based on our expectations. Sometimes we, we kind of elevate ourselves that way, right? Jesus, you're supposed to meet my needs. I'm going to pray because I want you to do this for me. Rather than trust in his words and what he's already said, he will do. It is the very word of God that determines the truth of Christ. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We need to get back to his word. See, Jesus said these men were foolish. Why? Because they assumed truth and expectations from others or the events maybe they saw rather than the prophetic word of God himself. The very word of God, Jesus himself referred to time and time again. Jesus provided them the greatest exposition of Scripture. Wouldn't you have loved to have been taught the Word of God from God Himself? How amazing would that sermon have been? To sit with Christ and hear Him explain all of the Scriptures that pertain to Himself. Wow. And what Scriptures did they have? They didn't have the Gospels. They had the Old Testament. They had the prophets. They had the words of Moses. But yet Christ was there. You know, something came to mind as I thought about this, that as a, as a former teacher, and I know Pastor Ben can, can reflect on this as well as a former teacher. Maybe some of you are, are teachers as well, and you can think about this, that what we teach from, we teach from the curriculum. We teach from these textbooks all too often, but most of those textbooks are teachings from men who have studied things and put it in their own words to teach other people what they learned about those events. If you follow that line of logic, that makes sense, and I get it. But sometimes we trust in those textbooks. Rather, as a teacher, I love to pull the first-hand account, the first-hand experience. In fact, I had two of those take place in my years as a, as a history teacher. I taught American history. And times I would take our students to the East Coast on the, the grand old Washington, D.C. trip and, and many other places. And one of those places that we go to is Gettysburg, yeah. Gettysburg Battlefield. Now, I can sit in the classroom with all these rows of desks and teach these kids about Gettysburg how it was devastating, and that style of warfare. If you know your history, you know what I'm talking about. Or, I can take these kids, and I can set them on the battlefield itself, and say, now, let's talk about this battle, how the North came from this direction. They can see it themselves. But I take it one step further. There was one opportunity. I'm so glad I have this opportunity. We had one of the uh, tour guides, Gettysburg Battlefield Tour Guides, who was old enough that he himself, as a young boy in the Boy Scouts, shook hands with a Gettysburg veteran soldier who fought in that battle. So one that told me, this guy knows what he's talking about, because to shake hands with an individual who lived that battle. <clears throat> but two, 
man, we're not that far removed from that history. Amen. It was amazing to me, but, but it made it more real. I just, from that point on, I zeroed in on him. You shook hands with a guy who fought in this battle? Because to me, Gettysburg Civil War, that was ancient history. But it became so real. Example number two, same kind of trip. We were in and around D.C. and we give the kids the, the Smithsonian Day, as we call it. Because all those museums, you can't get in in one day or a couple hours. So we just let them go, go to this museum, that museum. And I had a group of kids and we went through the Holocaust Museum. Intense museum. If you've ever been there or experienced it. Please do sometime if you're over there. But we were walking through, and they take you through all the different levels and kind of walk you through. And they actually give you a, a little a passport card of a, a real individual who went through the Holocaust. And as you learn about everything, at the end, you find out if that individual you've been carrying with you survived or didn't. So as I was reading the card and I was walking down the stairs, something caught my attention. Something caught my eye. And as I came down the stairs, I was done with the, you know, used to kind of self-walking tour. I noticed an older gentleman sitting at a table off to the side. And there were a couple people sitting with him. I went, could that be? <laughs> so I walked over and kind of became an annoying little tourist and just kind of edged over like, I wonder what they're talking about. <laughs> Turned out this gentleman was a survivor of Auschwitz and was there in the museum telling his story. Now, more amazing thing was the couple that was sitting with him just happened to have the passport of him. So they went through this museum, and then not knowing, they walked down the stairs and are able to sit down with the gentleman whose story they just followed and hear from his mouth the reality of what took place. Powerful. So I just sat, again, I was just like, I'm locked in. I gotta hear this story. It was amazing. When you hear that firsthand account, why I say all that, come back to our story in Luke. Could you imagine the story of Christ Himself sharing with you all of Scripture and mentioning all the things that pertain to Himself? Did Jesus mention Genesis 22? Did he mention the story of Abraham placing his son Isaac on the altar? Because that was kind of symbolic of God the Father placing his son on the cross? Amen. Did Jesus mention Exodus 12, the first Passover and that sacrificial lamb of which he would become? Did he mention Numbers 21, that bronze serpent we talked about on, on Friday night, lifted up on the pole, that if you look at that, you are saved? Mm -hmm. Did he mention Psalm 22, 69, Isaiah 53, all the prophetic passages of his death and crucifixion? Could you imagine what he went through? You know, I, I love some of these, what I call, old-timey pastors, preachers, theologians. And one of those I love, because when you hear his voice, you know who it is. His name is J. Vernon McGee. Oh, yeah. if you, know, you guys know the voice, right? That old southern, higher fish draw. I love J. Vernon McGee. But this is what he had to say about this. He said, the Lord, I wish I could do his voice because I would, but I, I won't even try. <laughs> said, the Lord, in speaking about his resurrection... He did not show them the prints of the nails in his hands to prove it. You guys catch that in the story? He referred them to the scriptures rather than to the nail prints. He told them, you should have believed what the prophets said. It is well to note the Lord's attitude towards the Bible. 
I suppose it is the most subtle and satanic trap of our day to discount the inerrancy and integrity of the word of God. Christ says a man is a fool not to believe it. He gave a unanimous and wholehearted acceptance of the Bible statements with no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Because you can imagine Jesus, Jesus did that for Thomas, right? Good old doubting Thomas. When Jesus appeared after his resurrection, Thomas said, no, I won't believe it until I see it and see those nails. I put my finger in those nails myself or his wrist myself. And so Jesus said, go right ahead. But he didn't do that with these disciples. He could have easily shown them the scars, his side. Maybe he still had imprints from the thorn, whatever he looked like that moment, but he brought them to Scripture. The very word of God we're holding Amen. today. Amen. That's what we need to believe in, trust in, spend time in. I love the word abide. It's one of my favorite words. We need to abide in the word of God, rest in it. Take it in more than anything else. And I say that as a conviction to myself because all too often, I've said this before, I'll sit down and I'll, all of a sudden I'll be four or five episodes deep into the office or some other show and, and then the Holy Spirit in his beautiful way sit, sitting in the corner, legs crossed and just kind of staring at me going, have you washed enough yet? Could you have spent time in my word maybe for the last couple of hours? It's just a gentle nudge. The gentle kick in the kundangings, my dad says, but it's, it's what we need. It's what we need. Let me finish this up. I don't want to, but we're going to. We've got lunch to get to, people. Come on. Just kidding. So let's finish out Luke 24. This last half, I'll just entitle it, and why we're going to stick with it, it's entitled this last half, Give Us More. Give Us More. So starting at verse 28, it says, So they drew near to the village to which they were going. Jesus acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us? while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. About seven, eight-mile trip, just for reference, Emmaus to Jerusalem. So that's a long haul. But I just imagine they were running as quickly as they possibly could. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Amen. It's a beautiful story. These hearts of these two men were strengthened and encouraged so much they desired more. And again, the humor of Jesus saying, oh, good to be with you guys. I'm just going to keep going. And I go, no, no, give us more. Come into our house. It's late. You're the resurrected Christ, but, but you need some rest. Come and eat with us. Give us more. Give us more. Because it says, when he was at the table with them, Again, simple line, but so important for us to understand. When he went in to dine with them, he was at table with them. In that society, in that culture, that is intimacy. That is relationship. 
That is not just picking up McDonald's, sitting with a TV tray, watching an episode, and then going about your day. This is so important to understand. When we pursue that intimate relationship with Jesus, our eyes will be opened to his wonders. I want you to think about the other moments in Scripture when the wonder of Jesus was realized. And it happened to be around food. Interesting. The wedding at Cana, John chapter 2, Jesus' first miracle. Feeding the 4,000 and 5,000. The miracle where Jesus' miraculous works are revealed to multiple people. That time he dined with Zacchaeus. Intimate relationship. The Passover meal with his disciples. Jesus himself declared to be the bread and living water. He had breakfast with his disciples on the shore after his resurrection in one of his appearances to his disciples. Said, hey, Peter, bring the fish. I got a fire going. Let's eat. Let's have some sushi. I'm sure it was culturally acceptable in that time, but I'm not a fan. Not a fan of that kind of fish. But if it's with Jesus, I'll choke the fish down. So the revelation of who he is will cause our hearts to burn. And if you've never had that experience, if you've never had that moment, get into the word of God and read and read and read and pay attention to what he's saying. Because he's talking to you. Even Satan tried to tempt Jesus with food during his time in the wilderness prior to his ministry. And Jesus' answer in Matthew 4, 4 was, man shall not live by bread alone, but, listen, by the very word that comes from the mouth of God. Amen. Are you catching what we're talking about here? The word of God is so important that what he said back then is just as important to what he says now and what revelation we can receive through his word because he himself said in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He is the word we need. He is the word we must focus on, must take in. By his word, by his spirit, will prove to us beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Lord has risen indeed. Through the crucifixion and death of Christ provides us forgiveness of our sins. We know that. We can say that. We can maybe even say we believe it. But in order to receive that forgiveness of sins, you have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You simply just have to believe in faith, because God knows your heart. That Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Amen. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Listen to these words. Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. See, the resurrection grants us the ability to live here and now with a greater sense of purpose, peace, and hope in this forsaken world, sin-filled world, fallen world. Let me read these words. I just want you to listen. In Romans 6, it says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk 
in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has set us free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also, you in this room, enter your name. You must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Amen. You hear those words? Amen. Nothing can captivate you. Nothing can hold you down. You are free to live in Christ. You are free to do what he has called you to do. That temptation that you receive from the enemy doesn't have power over you. Doesn't have power over you. See, that's the hope of Christ's resurrection now as we can walk in him in life and purpose and hope now in this world. We can look at this world and be concerned. We can look at this world and raise our children to understand but have a worldview that looks beyond these circumstances to eternity to come. Yeah. And that gives us a deeper-seated purpose and joy than to get caught up in the stuff that this world wants to offer us. So we can have life here and now, but also the resurrection of Christ grants us eternal life. So no matter what happens here, no matter what we go through, and I said it again before, I'll say it again now. If God himself did not save his son from punishment, torturous death, then why do we get a free pass from experiencing hardship? We don't. So expect the hardship. It's going to come. It's going to happen. We're going to experience hard times. But the purpose of Christ is to look beyond that. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For God is with me. Rod and a staff, they comfort me. Lies me beside still waters. He gives me peace despite what's going on. John 14, 1 through 3 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Jesus speaking, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Amen. The words of God, listen, you must hear that. I will come again and take you with me. That where I am, you may be also. See, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And he's here now. He's waiting for you. If you're hearing these words, you need Christ in your life. You've never received Christ as your Savior. And you're hearing these words, I need to put my faith in him as Lord, as Christ, as the one who died on that cross for me. And sacrificed himself for me so I could be set free. So I don't have to carry this sin. I don't have to live this way anymore. I don't have to be lost and in darkness and wondering when 
things are going to get better because they're not without Christ, both here, now, and in eternity. You do not want to be separated from the Heavenly Father because he wants you. He wants to dine with you. He wants a relationship with you. And he says very clearly, his words, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I'm right here. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him. See, there's that food thing again. <laughs> I love Jesus. He talks a lot about food. <laughs> yes, I will eat a lot with Jesus in eternity. Because <laughs> you're never going to get full. I think that's, that's the beauty of eternity. It's not scripture, but I'm going to say that. <laughs> I can have all the fish and chips I want. Yeah. All of them. That's probably not going to be there. That's not too healthy. It'll be divinely touched so I can have as much as I want, never get full, and just sit and dine with Jesus, be in the presence of Jesus for eternity. Amen. Jesus says, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on his throne. Amen. Jesus has a gift for you. He has eternity for you, both here and later. I want to go on. I don't want to leave this moment with you. But we're going to. <laughs> because we have to carry on sometimes. We have to now put into practice what we say we believe. That's right. Trust in Jesus with all of our hearts. And lean not on our own understanding. But in all our ways. Recognize him. Trust in him. He'll guide you, protect you cares for you. He loves you. In multiple times in scripture, he promises us, I am with you always, wherever you go. 